0: It's time to get reconnected. Tune in every week to Enneagram Restore Podcast for Reconnected, a relationship series on how the Enneagram can be a bridge between your relationship goals and the current reality of your relationships. Host Braylon Williams, and welcome back to another episode of Enneagram Restored Podcast. For my faithful listeners, thank you for listening again. And for our new, new listeners, I hope you enjoy this episode. Oh, it's been a great series so far. Um, the Reconnected series has been, I, I've loved doing all the research and preparing for this podcast every week, and but we're still only in the beginning. We talked about 9s and 1s already, but today I want to talk about the last type within the gut triad, and that is type 1. Today I'm going to talk about the motivation behind a 1s expression of love, um, the type 1s um, and the 5 love, languages, how that fits in with the type 1. And what a relationship with the Type 1 looks like for the 9 types of the Enneagram. So, with no further ado, let's get started! let's start by talking about the ways type one's love um, the mo- their motivation for their expression of love how anger affects their love and their limitations of love all right so a one's expression of love is motivated by both their perfectionistic mindset and their constant response to their inner critic a- as you as we already know a one's wanting message um tells them that there are the, the things they do is never good enough. It's things are never perfect enough. So a one is always responding to their inner critic in a way that's like, okay, how can we make things better? Um, that's not that's not perfect. So what can we do to they're always trying to fix the imperfections of life. Um, there was a meme that Suzanne Stabile shared on Instagram on other day. Um, let me pull it up real quick so I can reference it very well, but it, it, it really matches in with, um, type one. Give me just a second. So, th- this thing is a boy talking to what is presumed his father, um, who was an ingrained one, the father is. Um, and so the boy says, starts out by saying, Is my room clean now? And the father goes, No, not yet, and hugs him. Um, and, and that's the true, that's really what uh relationship with the one looks like. It's never good enough because that's what their inner critic is telling them but for a lot of ones that's not they know that this is how they are but that's not how they want to live a lot of ones um will say i i I don't want to i understand i have an inner critic that's telling me i'm never nothing is never perfect enough but it's it's just too much trying to always be perfect i hear that in a lot of ones and so yeah that's a big motivation behind their expression of love and unfortunately like i said unless they're a healthy one and there's someone who's like yeah i understand this about myself but that's not how i want to be um this perfectionistic mindset this is never not good enough mindset will be transferred through their expression of love another thing that motivates a one's expression of love is their disconnected disconnected thinking now this isn't disconnected thinking in the typical way typical way that you would think about it. um ones are always thinking no doubt about that. Um, it's just that they aren't thinking like a typical person. When you hear um, the phrase "disconnected thinking," you t- you tend to think that somebody's not thinking at all, but that's not the case for a one. Ones are always thinking. It's just that their subconscious thinking is their regular day thinking. What they should be thinking about, you know, general life stuff, that type of stuff, you know, what, what's to do. That's all in their subconscious thinking. That That's secondary thinking for them. Their conscious thinking, their primary thinking is replaced, again, by this constant response to their inner critic and so that that's the difference in their thinking that that's their disconnected thinking i mean it's not that they don't think it's just they they are disconnected in the way they think and is not connected in the right way you know you think of a light switch You know a functioning if you remember this in what sixth or seventh grade science uh, a functioning light switch you know um you have a path uh and if that connection is up electrons can not get to the actual light source so the light bulb is off but as soon as you flip the light bulb on that path is connected and that's the same sense um, kind of with the one most of the time that that path is up so the electrons can't get to the true way of thinking and so it's, they got to flip that switch on and really get to the right way of thinking all right, so we know that anger is the core emotion of the gut triad, right? Um, hopefully, if, if you did not know that, now you know that. Um, every uh, every triad is has a core emotion, and for the um, gut triad is anger. Um, and we know that eights express the anger, nines forget about their anger, but ones they repress their anger they internalize their anger Um, ones are like a a pot of boiling water when it comes to anger they're, they're like a pot of boiling water that's on the stove and is slowly boiling you know every situation every moment of anger that they have they just take it in they take it in and and soon it becomes so hot within them that it just begins to boil over and that they explode with anger in one moment because they've taken in so much anger over a time period that they did not properly deal with it that is so much that at one point they reach they they reach their boiling point and it just you know snaps and everything comes out at once Um, but I mean that doesn't mean that anger does not seep through and right in the moment of the situation happened because I mean for everybody we show a moment of anger uh, in situations, um, no matter how hard we try to not be angry in situations, we show anger in a way, whether it's with our facial expressions or whether it's you know with our verbal um, language, um, it, we, we all show anger. And for one, that little moment of anger that seeps through right in that direct moment of the situation that has caused their anger to rise is is expressed through resentment. It's not that they're going to verbally say, oh, I'm angry with you. It's not that they're going to physically abuse you in the moment. But in the moment that you make a one angry, they're going to internalize 99% of that anger. But that 1% is going to come through as resentment. It's, It's going to come up as, you know, kind of judgment, like, type of thing or you're not doing this right Um, kind of a withdrawal from your connection with them so that's kind of how ones deal with anger but ones are also people who live in a world of overs overdoing over observing over evaluating um, and over Overdoing and over are two of the biggest limitations of a one's love, but, um, gosh, I lost my trans out. Let me get back to <laughs> Bear with me. Um, the train went off tracks a little bit, but it's coming back. Um, All right, so overdoing and over-observing are two of the biggest limitations to one's love. But not only are they always overdoing to make things perfect, but they're also always overthinking and over-evaluating, which they're overdoing and overthinking and over-evaluating is led by their over-observing nature, a nature that... uh, is always searching again for the imperfections in life to make them, quote unquote, perfect. So that adds just a little bit about how uh, ones love their motivation behind the expression of love. Um, I promise you, there's so much more behind it, but that, that's a kind of a brief overview and and to why a type one loves the way they do. All right, so yeah, let's let's move on to talk about um, how the five love languages fit in with type ones before I talk about how the five love love languages um, fit in with type ones I want to take a moment to pause and to mention something new so as we all know the five love languages were developed by dr. Gary Chapman um, who really put you know the detail into this and say all right this is how people truly feel loved um, as well as truly feel like they're giving love but truity.com uh, which is the place that I recommend if you need to take an Enneagram test um, they they have one and it is one of the most reliable ones uh, to really type in you as far as the test goes um, again I do not really I do not really advocate that you take a test because there is a lot more behind the Enneagram than, you know, what can be put on a test. But if you really need to take a test, go to Truity.com. Um, that's T-R-U-I-T-Y. All right. But anyway, Truity.com has recently made a another quiz, is which is research-based, um, that aligns with the five love languages. But instead, it gives you seven love languages. Um, and I've already taken the quiz, and I've looked— into um, the meaning behind each seven love language. And it really makes a whole lot of sense. And I really like it. Um, and I do want to do an episode um, about this. And let me just say, that does not mean I'm switching course. Um, I will continue throughout the rest of this season, at least, to talk about... Uh, just the five love languages in the enneagram so don't worry about learning seven other new love languages we're gonna stick with the five original throughout this season and in future seasons I'm not sure when I'll introduce uh, the seven in correlation with the enneagram types but in future seasons I will mention that and just don't know when So, but at least for now, until I make, say otherwise, it's just explicitly how do the five love languages fit with the Enneagram. All right. so, but like I said, I do want to do an episode on these new seven love languages that will allow you to understand them better. um, Which will be a bonus episode available for purchase, so um, I don't know when that will... Um, come out. Uh, I've got to get the script written uh, for all that and contact people, contact guests to come on to talk about that. All right. So um, just stay tuned. Like I said, that will be a bonus episode available for purchase. So all right. Now back to ones and the five love languages. As always, I've taken my general understanding of the type one population and research to make a ranking uh, of most to least love languages apparent in type ones. I have to be honest with you. This ranking was a tough one. <laughs> all right. So there are, all right, like, so let me do this. This is how I've ranked them most to least apparent access, of service, quality time, physical touch, words of affirmation and gifts. But when I say I struggled with this ranking, I really struggled with this ranking. Um, I'm not sure if this, even now, I've spent weeks and weeks on this ranking. I'm trying to figure out, is this how I want to keep it? Um, I'm still unsure that this should be the way I rank these um, as most to least apparent. But I'm going to stick with these. doesn't feel 100% right, but it feels good enough. To do for this episode, um, so but all right, access service once When it comes to access service ones, have a as we all know, they have a concern for justice and let people live their best life. So it, it just kind of seems fitting that access service would be the ideal way to express their love as a one. However, I, I think that um, there's a difference of their expression and receiving love that is tied, that is hinged to, again, this idea, this desire for things to be done in excellence and in a perfect manner. So I just think that for a one to truly receive love through the service, it'll, it'll be kind of tough because this goes back to what do they think is perfect? Um, the way that you're trying to serve them may not be perfect enough. And so it takes away from them to re- really receive your love uh, because it doesn't fit their desire for perfectionism. So th- that's my opinion that, you know, for when it comes to uh, type one and acts of service, that it's going to look a little bit different when they express it than it is when they receive love through acts of service. Secondly, quality time. When it comes to this love language, I I think the success of expressing love through quality time is tied to their level of health. It's harder for a lower-functioning one who is constantly critical to spend quality time with someone because... Quality time is based in undivided attention, but if a lower functioning one is always being critical, always trying to make sure you know what's wrong with the situation, they're not giving their undivided attention. Rather, their attention is divided between you and how to fix things, what needs to be fixed. This is not perfect enough. There's just not that undivided attention that needs to be taking place in quality time. So, for a loyal function, you want. But now, for a one who is more secure, a one who is on the healthier side. they take on the qualities of a seven, they become more adventuresome and less critical. So this might be a great love language for a type one who is healthy, but a horrible love language for a one who is lower functioning, because again, that criticalness that takes place in the lower functioning ones. But a healthy, healthy one, oh gosh, they can probably give you their undivided attention with no doubts, with no, no, no resentment within themselves, because again they take on the adventuresome qualities of a seven and they, they want to get out there they want to adventure the more secure they become they want to get to know the world um, and let go of their rigidity and the perfectionistic mindset um, the more secure they become physical touch like I said when it comes to this entire ranking I have I had trouble with this But physical touch was one of the ones I had the most trouble with. And to put it third on the list, I honestly, it was just kind of a battle of this being either third or being first. I mean, because it it just seems like this should be the most apparent one because how can you mess up physical touch when you have someone like one who is always responding to their inner critic, always looking to make things perfect? there's really not a way you can really mess up physical touch. So it was just kind of hard to put this third on the list rather than first, because it just kind of fits all that criteria of, you know, being first, you know, there's, I mean, it's hard to not make physical touch perfect, you know, it doesn't require any type of perfection. But I think that that's probably why. Perhaps this lack of, of having perfection, of having at least a scale of perfection, is what makes this not that not so apparent in type one. You know, not being able to um, actually grade perfection of physical touch uh, might be the reason why uh, there's a struggle to put this first as a level in which in one. Now, again, we all know that a one has an inner critic that is always telling them that their best is not good enough. And so just like acts of service and quality time, uh, words of affirmation uh, is tied to a one's level of health and desire for perfection. Um, It it, it will just be difficult for a lower functioning one to uh, silence their inner critic so they can fully receive your words. Uh, your affirming words because if you're trying to love a one through affirming words but their inner critic is telling what you're doing is not good enough that person is not being good enough to you they're not going to really receive that love well because you might be truly truly like oh affirming them like Oh, I love the way you do this. I love the way you love me this way. I love the way you engage in our conversations. But if they're a lower functioning one and this inner critic is telling them you're not engaged in this relationship well enough, it's just going to be very, very tough for them to receive that love because of that inner critic that is telling them that. So uh, just kind of be, be be on the watch out for a one in that way. But but again, just like the ones before, um, the more secure, the more healthier one is will determine the willingness to express and receive love through words of affirmation. So that's a key thing, um, which seems to be a key thing for a lot of the five love languages when it comes to type one is this inner critic, this desire for perfectionism. All right. So lastly, the love language of gifts. It seems to me that for a majority of type ones, gifts, the love language of gifts would be tied to their idea of what is perfect. When I think of gifts and the love language of gifts and type ones, a few questions come to mind that I think that they would ask would think about uh, in themselves. What would they consider a perfect gift to be for them to properly receive love through this language? Another question I think they'll ask themselves what do they think the perfect gift is for others so that others receive their love as a one properly through this love language of gifts? So, yeah, I, I think that when it comes to gifts, it really ties to the idea of what is perfect, but also. They like to question you know how to make this possible so one thing i noticed though just the gut types alone i, I hopefully we'll see this shift in the heart and head types but one thing i noticed is that in the gut types gifts seems to be not only in my personal ranking but with then other people who have also done kind of like a uh, ranking or like a polling of people Gifts within the gut triad seems to come and last for all three types, so I, I don't know. Maybe it's just the gut types. Like I said, we might see this shift within the heart and the head types. Gifts might become number one for some people Um, later down into the other types, Um, so we'll see. It's just a waiting game. I'm so glad that you have chosen to come along with me in another season of restoration. Season one was so great. And I think that in the second season, uh, it's important to focus on relationships. And so I also want to challenge you in the second season that you'll be intentional about showing love to your significant other, family, and friends. All right, now let's talk about compatibility. Let's talk about a 1's compatibility with each of the nine types. But first, really quickly, let's just review what compatibility is within the Enneagram. Compatibility in the Enneagram is the understanding of each type's capability of existing together in harmony in accordance with their core type, their core emotion, their understanding of the world, and their stress and security numbers also want to remind you that any two types can be compatible with each other um, and what I'm about to outline for you is simply only information to help guide your relationship with the one uh, uh, what really makes two people compatible is their shared devotion to deeply care for the relationship um, their shared understanding of the relationship and their shared desire to work to a common goal within the relationship. All right, so uh, we're just gonna work our way through the nine types starting with type one. So we'll go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine uh, and we'll call it done. All right, so let's start with one. The double one pairing is a work first, play later couple. All right, this pairing is often created, sustained by their shared ideals and the desire to put those ideals into practice. Um, both types in this relationship are concerned with um, fairness. They're concerned with truthfulness, truthfulness, um, consistency, and they're concerned with treating others uh, with respect and dignity. Um, this this relationship is a very great relationship again because this is a double pairing. Most double pairing relationships tend to get along very well because they each understand each other um, well because. I mean, they're the same type, so hopefully they understand each other very well. So, but the problem spot for this double one pairing relationship is that their increasing desire to use improvements as the measure in most of their aspect, most aspects of the relationship. Um, since because they have a perpetual dissatisfaction with themselves and others, so um, this perpetual dissatisfaction with themselves and others is constantly making them um uh how can i say this um trying to measure up to their expectations so they're always constantly trying to improve themselves and others that they are in a relationship with um so um, that, that's the biggest problem spot is this you know we all know it's never good to try to have people meet your expectations because people are people. And, and yeah, <laughs> it's uh, people have their own ideals of how they should do life and how they should act and everything. So um, it's never a good thing to try to measure up to people's expectations. And so that's the biggest problem for um, a double one pairing. I'm sorry. Yeah. It is what it is. The one and two coupling, though. <laughs> oh, this couple, the one and two, is a very complimentary couple, complimentary, yeah, yeah, I said that word right. <laughs> complimentary couple, because they both offer the example of their own qualities. This relationship is built, again, on shared values if someone who is a one is seeking to learn how to relax, um, if you're a lower functioning one, but you want to become more secure and learn how to relax more and not to be so rigid, I would advise that you find someone who is a two and develop a relationship with them. Now it can be platonic or a romantic relationship, but uh, if, you re- if you are a one and you are wanting to really learn how to relax, um, my advice is to get you a friend or somebody who is a two, because twos can really help one soften and relax. Um, twos are more friendly and welcoming, welcoming than ones typically are, and um, a two can help warm up a one's revered ex- exterior. Exterior. Gosh, I cannot talk. <laughs> Excuse me. Give me one second. Have a hair in my eye. She just love when you're trying to do things and you know i just want to say not today all right I, I think it's fixed for now um in this one and two relationship one is bringing integrity integrity conscientiousness responsibility and consistency to the relationship one's commit strongly which makes the two feel very secure um This relationship though has some irony to it Um, and and this is how this relationship becomes ironic because ones and twos are two Enneagram types who are highly concerned for the needs of others but ironically enough they aren't concerned enough about their own needs so it's kind of it's just kind of ironic how Individu- individually, and even um, as a couple, these two types are concerned about other, the needs of other people, but when it comes to themselves, not so much. Excuse me, I'm trying to, I lost my spot in my notes. When it comes to the problem areas of this relationship, um, it often revolves around the idea of serving uh, both the one and two feel like getting what they want feels selfish and forbidden. Um, again, these are two types are like who are like others first and me last type of people. Uh, so, getting what they want really feels like they aren't putting others first um so it's it, it, they get they feel a little bit selfish when they do that when they put themselves first so twos feel that that most that they must take care of everyone like i said they must take everyone else's needs um before they allow to have needs for themselves which in turn can cause the one to begin to feel disappointed by the two's tendency to give so much of themselves to others and not to be so unregulated and, and to be so unregulated regarding time and attention <sighs> on the other hand though two sees ones as too impersonal and unconcerned with other people Two thinks that twos think ones aren't sympathetic and are charitable enough um, twos can become to be can begin to become disappointed in the reality of the one's idealism. Uh, They begin to think that the one may love humanity, but not actually have real compassion for humanity. Um, Just two more things I wanna share about this relationship is that one, both types can begin to become very condemnatory and critical of the other as they drift apart from each other and two, if both the one and two cultivates the art of compromise, then this relationship will thrive. Um, compromise within the one and two relationship will really just help this relationship thrive to the best that it can. All right, ones and threes are both driven toward hard work and to be intensely of aware of when. They are not measuring up to their own high expectations and standards, both individually and collectively, which makes this relationship a highly task-oriented relationship. Both types within this relationship are able to put aside their personal feelings for the sake of the objective good that needs to be done. They both thrive on respect and personal space. both the one and the three are industrious and persistent. They are efficient and concerned with excellence and with making the with making a real difference in the world, which makes this couple a powerful coalition that is capable of dealing with both ideals and practical matters. But, however, there is a flip side to all this. Uh, when it Excuse me, I gotta sneeze real quick. <sighs> Bless me. When it, when time commitments or, and lack of emotional attachment to each other and their competition increases in this relationship, it becomes a problem. When the relationship when the relationship begins to become a problem, they will begin to lose respect for the other. Um, Ones will lose. I, I, I can't talk. Um, excuse me. When they begin to lose respect for each other, um, ones will lose respect for the threes' integrity, and the threes will lose respect for the ones' effectiveness. I want to offer a side note, though, for explicitly the married one and three couple, but this too can work. This this advice I'm about to give you can also work for the non. Married one in three relationship, but it really works well for the married one in three um, relationship. So, resting in the marriage rather than just working on the marriage will help your marriage thrive. And there's there's a difference in resting in and rest and working on. When you're resting in the marriage, you're saying, "All right, this marriage isn't perfect. Let's fix what we can. Don't worry about we and let's just you know." Not saying that you shouldn't trying to fix everything, but you shouldn't, you focus on the worst problems and the little problems, you just kind of let slide. You don't have to work on the little problems of life because we all have little imperfections. Um, Take time to work on the big problems, but the little problems like, oh, I know, snores when he sleeps type of things. Don't make those too big of an issue unless it really becomes a problem where as a wife if your husband snores a lot that that seems to be a very little problem but if it becomes a problem where it's prohibiting your sleep then that's where you should it becomes a big problem and so you you should work on that Uh, but for the most part resting in the relationship rather than working on the relationship really help um, a one in three relationship thrive In the 1 and 4 relationship, to bring a desire for objectivity, truth, value, and reason. Four is bring creativity, intense feelings, sensuality, spontaneity, inspiration, and the ability to tap into dreams. While both the 1 and the 4 bring unique qualities to the relationship, they also Teach each other things. Ones teach forests to actualize their dreams by supporting their creativity with healthy self-discipline and appropriate structure. Forests teach and give ones permission to explore and express the full range of ex- of of their feelings and passions. So when this relationship uh, becomes a problem, it is because of their points of view ones are objective thinkers, whereas fours are subjective thinkers. And conflict in this relationship is also the effect of the idea of self-discipline versus self-indulgence. One suppress the personal and emotional impulses, whereas fours act out their personal and emotional impulses. So that's where the problem comes in this relationship. Do we indulge in ourselves or do we push those away? Do we push our emotions and Uh, personal impulses away or do we indulge in those? Um, So it's that battle of discipline versus indulgence um, in some relationship that is often the center of conflict for the one and four relationship. Romance in the one and five relationship um, takes some time to develop. The one and five relationship is often left at the friendship level um this relationship just it just doesn't really often too much go past friendship for the one in five I'm not saying that's possible but just because of the way this relationship is and you'll see why here in a minute the one in five relationship though possesses similar qualities within each type um, both see themselves as fact-oriented people, ones like their ideas and philosophies philosophies to have practical ramifications, and fives are more purely mental though, so ones like to put into practice their philosophies, fives keep them to themselves most of the time, keep their philosophies to themselves. Both the one and five bring a desire to be objective and their want to avoid sentimentality into the relationship. Um, Personal boundaries are highly respected by both the one and the five. So when it comes to intimacy, either types will, will rarely make the first move unless they have a pretty strong signal from the other person that their intimate touches will be welcomed. Um, the intimacy will be welcomed in the relationship. They they need that strong um, signal saying, "Hey, come be intimate with me." Um, and the main source of conflict in this relationship is rooted in the fact that they that both types find it difficult to change their basic philosophies of life, and they find it difficult to respect anyone who believes the opposite of them. Uh, Once tend to believe in the objectivity again there goes me messing up talking one is ones tend to believe in the objectivity of certain truths and believe that once these truths are known there is a possibility of arriving at objective certainty they feel that their ideals and philosophies have given them contact with some form of ultimate truth and therefore they are living from a viewpoint in which acquiring certainty is a moral imperative on the other hand fives are skeptics and debunkers are certain to so you can see how like this is a reason why the one in five relationship often stays in friendship and not goes to relationship a romantic relationship mode But wh- while, you know, 1s being people of certitude and 5s being people of, you know, skepticism and debunking certaintudes, the 1 in 5 relationship, they both avoid imposing their own beliefs on the other, which can lead the relationship to become cold and distant. It can make the relationship impersonal and analytic and as well as tinge with resignation and cynicism. And that's not a good thing for a relationship, whether you're one in five or any other two types on the Enneagram. Um, but that that's, as you can see from all that, that that's just, that's kind of the, that's the reason why a lot of the one in five relationships do, just don't go past the friendship level. Alright, let's take a moment. I need to get a drink of coffee real quick. Alright, one and sixes. In the one and six relationship, there is a lot a room A lot lot of room for relaxation because each type can count on the other to do their part. Um, Ones are often the decision makers in this relationship, though, because sixes do not tend to feel so sure of themselves as ones do. Ones are, you know, certain people, whereas sixes are walking the fence type of thing, people... Ones bring a sense of reason and mental clarity and the ability to think clearly under pressure and to come to a firm decision quickly, um, which is why they are often the decision maker in this relationship. Ones also have a concern for order and consistency, for logic and elegance that is sometimes lacking within the six. Um, But sixes have the ability to connect with people in a more direct and human way than the ones tend to be able to do. Um, Sixes also bring warmth and more emotional responsiveness and availability. They bring generosity and playfulness that can be endearing and can make the one think twice about their certitudes and positions. And while this is a very good relationship, and the very reciprocally good relationship, there's always a yin to the yang, a bad to the good in everything, and that is no different in this relationship. Increasing stress within the one-in-six relationship can cause the one to become more critical and judgmental of everyone, including themselves. Um, and they can begin to feel that others are not mature, mature and meticulous enough, which creates resentment and accusations within constant bickering, which in turn can be very extremely worrying on the six more than it is for the one. And for the six, increasing stress causes them to become increasingly emotionally reactive. They become more worried and more insecure and they look for their partner to be a bulwark of stability and fairness, but instead they find a critical one um, who drives them deeper into their feelings of anxiety and insecurity. So if tensions within this relationship continue to build, the six will become more and more defensive and evasive. Um, So it really, when, when tensions in this relationship, especially when stress in a six increases, they need a If the relationship with the the one, they need the one to really be there for them, kind of be like a almost kind of like a parent, you know, for them to reassure them that everything's going to be all right and to be like, all right, this is our plan of action type of thing. It's what a six needs and from a one um, and stress moments. All right, just three more types and the compatibility of a one before i move on to talk about um ways a type one can reconnect with themselves and other people all right so the one is seven relationship is another relationship that is very complementary um uh, and reciprocal both are future oriented and idealistic but they also both bring their own unique qualities to relationship ones offer sevens a sense of purpose and idealism as well as direction and the feeling that life is noble and meaningful. Um, one's bring conscientiousness, again, orderliness, good work habits, met- methodical attention to detail and a pleasure in maintaining excellence and high standards to, relation- to the relationship. Sevens offer one's a sense of excitement in life as a source of pleasure and enjoyment. Sevens bring spontaneity, high energy, curiosity, and orientation toward fun and adventure. They have the desire to try new things and the ability to not get hung up with getting everything perfectly to the T in the relationship. But problems in this relationship are often based in the idea of discipline versus undisciplined. Um, lower functioning ones will begin to see sevens as undisciplined and self-centered they, they they just feel sevens are prolificate and wasteful whereas lower functioning sevens will begin to see ones as too prissy and too perfectionistic they feel ones are too tight-fisted and have no vision i hate that kind of rhyming too prissy too perfectionistic and too fight too tight-fisted um i should i, should, I might have a, a great rap I, no nope not happening um I I can't talk already. Uh, Me trying to be a rapper. Nope. But after a minute, that rhymed. You know, too prissy, too perfectionistic, too tight-fisted, and have no vision. (laughs) Okay, anyway. uh, As things get worse, ones eventually lose respect for sevens. And sevens get tired of the ones' continual criticism. In dissatisfaction dissatisfaction ones will begin to withdraw emotional connection from the seven and the seven will begin to pursue other relationship options uh, yes that does mean a seven will step outside of the relationship to find another person the one and eight coupling this is a coupling that involves two people who are both energetic and but their focus is different. One's focused on the problem, whereas eight's focus on the solution. Um, a concern for fighting for truth and justice is a common ground in this relationship. Um, both will and do take any chance to change the world, make it a better place, And they are always both serving the underserved, protecting the defenseless, and treating themselves well when the hard work is done. But the one in eight have a different view in this fight for truth and justice. Uh, Ones see it as ideal often laws and policies, what can be done for now and to ensure people in the future can benefit from our hard work today. But for AIDS, it's more practical, it's more of what can be done for the people right now. This does not mean that future people can access the hard work that was done today. Um, So again, the, the fight for truth and justice is a little bit different Once ideal? What can be instituted to ensure not only people today can benefit from the hard work that we do, but what can be done today that today's people and future generations can do it? Whereas AIDS is more of what can people, how can we make people feel better today? Um, There's many stark differences in this couple, and it tends to be easier for the one in eight to remain friends and romantic partners, partners. Um, but this this is a couple that is very hospitable and highly family oriented when they are at the best. So it doesn't mean that they can't be. It's just the differences. There are differences, just as every relationship in the one and eight relationship. So. Uh, but when they're both at their best, um, very hospitable people and very family-oriented. All right, last one today, the one and nine couple. The one and nine couple is very idealistic couple. They both want to change their world. They both love other people in the community very much. They both love giving to each other. The nine gives this relationship a softer side that often takes away the criticalness and the seriousness of the one. The one gives this relationship a a clarity and guidance that is often lacking from the nine side of it. Um, nines bring more interpersonal orientation and gentleness. They bring also bring an accepting quality that nurtures and supports others without explicit demand for self improvement. And once again, they bring clarity. They bring rationality. They bring the ability to articulate ideals and understanding to the relationship. But Again, there's always bad to the good, good to the bad. Um, and the main problem area for this couple, the main problem area for the one and nine couple is each type's method of dealing with conflict and stress. Nine shut down and withdraw, which makes them less effective in correcting the problems, whereas ones con- confront conflict, they exude... Uh, Gosh, I, these notes. Once confront conflict, my notes are all messed up. Once confront conflict, um, and they develop in a, an obsession, obsession with finding who is at fault and legislating ways to improve the situation. Uh, having healthy communication and having patience um, will help keep this relationship healthy and help it to thrive. All right. So that's the compa- compatibility of a one in relationship with every nine type of the Enneagram. Now let's move on to the to the reconnection moment for type one. All right, it's time It's the part of the episode where all the information comes together to help you um, form some practical ways to reconnect. It's time for the reconnection moment, all right? So I want to start by talking just to the ones out there. So if you're not a type 1, plug ears, uh, listen if you want to. But what I'm about to say doesn't really apply to you. It just really applies to everyone who is listening and who is a type 1 all right, so once before you begin to reconnect with people, I want you to know that it is very important that you understand that being rigid and being perfect is warranted in some situations, but not all situations. Not all situations require you to be so in line with the rules, so perfect to the T, so rigid again. It is necessary and even welcomed in some situations, but not every situation is rigidity and perfectionism Perfectionism warranted. And I know even as I told you that, that you probably felt a little un- un- uneasy about that. You know, kind of, you heard me say those words, you heard me say, not every situa- not every situation needs to be perfect. And you probably got a little icky feeling Within you, uh, I, I know it, it definitely is one of those things that is easier said than done. Uh, just like it for me as an eight, saying it's okay to be vulnerable is easier said than done. I understand. I, I, you, you don't, you just don't know how much I understand that. Excuse me. How much I understand that, you know, when I say being perfect in every situation is not needed, makes you feel icky, I understand. it. The way it makes you feel icky is the same way me saying being okay to be vulnerable, it makes me feel icky. <laughs> All right, so, but um let me just offer you a way to help you put that ideal into practice. Um It's the same thing that I do, uh, which has, for me, when it comes to vulnerability, is this, I am just, randomly constantly reminding myself in my head that it's okay to be vulnerable um one of the things i say a lot to myself is vulnerability is not a weakness it's a strength so develop something like that you know say something like perfection and rigidity is needed in some situations but not all situations and just constantly remind yourself of that Uh, i promise you it'll help you out because I speak from experience. Um, Me saying vulnerability is not a weakness, it's a strength has allowed me to be open more and be more vulnerable in life. So I I know that if you just remind yourself constantly that perfection is not required in all situations, it'll help you lessen your need, your desire for perfection. Um, I promise you, it works. But I also want you to know that You need to relax sometime. And again, I am speaking to the choir when I say this because if there's any two types on the Enneagram who are workaholics, it is definitely the eights and the ones, all right? So find time to relax and not, not, you know, quick relaxation moments. Find ways to relax truly, you know, whether that's taking two to three hours out of your day to read a book, all right. Whether it's going on a long walk through nature, uh, find ways to truly relax. Because when you when you offer yourself true relaxation, you will discover some deeper leisure needs and desires that you have covered up by your desire to be perfect. So, may, maybe maybe going on walks in nature isn't what you really desire leisurely, but maybe that's the way you open yourself up to what you actually want. Maybe what you actually want is to learn how to play guitar, um, but you aren't so sure of that. So maybe you start by, you know, experiencing the natural music of nature by going on walks and listening to birds chirp, waterfall, fall, uh, crickets crick, croak, croak, Do they crickets croak, I don't know, frogs croak, you know, um, Experience the natural music of nature, and then that might uncover your desire to want to learn a new musical instrument. Who knows? Now, as you begin to connect with new people as one, uh, and as you begin to reconnect with people you already know in more meaningful ways, understand that relationships are ugly. I wish I could say that every relationship will be perfect from the start. You don't know how much I wish I could say that. Gosh. Oh, if you only knew. (laughs) Uh, I really wish that was true because there's been this girl I've been trying to date for. Three years now. Asked out. Yeah, it's been a. I I can't promise you how much I wish I could say relationships are just perfect from the start and what you want out of them you get. But that's not always the truth. You've got to go through some trials and testing, unfortunately. So, yeah. Uh, Relationships are ugly. It takes work to get a relationship to where you want it. It, it. It takes a lot of work, especially... The romantic, the dating, the married, the engaged relationships, they take a lot of work. So do not be surprised if relationship is not as perfect as you dreamed it would be. Um, The way I want you to see this is kind of go with, go into relationships with the expectation that (laughs) everything is going to go wrong. I've learned that the hard way, and it hurts honestly to think this way, but it's kind of helped to think in this way. That if you go into a relationship thinking, all right, you want to date this girl, um, um, that first date is going to go completely awry. Or you might ask her out, and two days later, COVID nineteen takes a toll over the entire world, and everything is shut down, and you're forced to be hours apart away from this girl who you just asked out, literally like 48 hours ago, and then, yeah, um. If you can't tell, I have a little bit of personal connection to, you know, relationships not going as planned. Uh, yeah. So, moving on. Just go into the, go into relationships with the expectations that everything's not going to turn out how you dreamed it would be. Um, all right. Now, for everybody who is not to A1, if you are a 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, or 9, I want to talk to you. Um. I want you all to understand that for a one, perfection is key for them. So if you want to connect in a meaningful way to a one, do not resent their perfectionism and their rigidness, instead applaud them for their perfectionism in situations where being perfect perfect is necessary and in the situations where being perfect is not necessary. Just in a very loving way, help them learn that it's okay to relax their standards. Simple as that. Seems like the reconnection moment for this week is very simple. So take what I have here. Think on it. Write a journal down ways you think you can help a one connect. And one is journal down ways you think you can help yourself connect with people. So, yeah. Reconnection is what we seek, and remember, like I always say, reconnection is not just for the estranged relationships, but it's also for those relationships that you haven't started yet, and it's also for those relationships that you are constantly talking to people daily, for the friends you see every day, for your parents you talk to every day. When I say reconnection, I'm not talking about reconnection of the whole relationship, which I am, but it doesn't necessarily have to be just the entire relationship there are aspects of every relation, relationship that deserve reconnection you might have you might talk to a friend 24/7 but there might be an aspect of your relationship that lacks a certain level of connection that's where you reconnect or you may not have talked to somebody in 10 years that's where you reconnect. All right, you may not have met somebody yet. Start by start your new connections by reconnecting with yourself and understanding how you connect with other people already. So, great time. Great episode today and a lot of information, a lot of good ways to reconnect. Mm-hmm. Well, folks, that is all for this week's episode of Enneagram Restored Podcast. Um, Thank you again for listening. Um, Before we continue talking about the Enneagram types and we jump into the types of the heart triad, I want to take a week out to offer you some prompts for you to think about, to reflect on, so you can journal them down, write them down, and to really help develop a plan of reconnection with people. So next week is going to be a shorter episode than most of the episodes in this series will be. Um, So I'm shooting for that episode to be around 13 to 15 minutes. So you don't want to miss it. It'll be a very it's not crucial, but it it will be a very good aid and, you know, helping you reconnect with yourself and people. So be sure to catch that episode next week. Um, Like I said, it's going to be a short episode, so you can really it's a quick it's going to be a quick listen. So don't. Forget about that. And so, um, and remember that the Enneagram does not define you, but it does bring restoration. It helps reshape your thinking and habits.